Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for today, including special guest Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute, will be picking up a topic of immigration policy, according to libertarians. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is May the 25th, and on this day in 1787, delegates representing every state except Rhode Island convened at Philadelphia's Pennsylvania State House for Constitutional Convention. The building, which is now known as Independence Hall, had earlier seen the drafting of the Declaration of Independence and the signing of the Articles of Confederation. The Assembly immediately discarded the idea of amending the Articles of Confederation and set about drawing up a new scheme of government. Uh, Revolutionary War hero George Washington, who was a delegate from Virginia, was elected uh, convention president. During three months of debate, the delegates devised a brilliant federal system characterized by an intricate system of checks and balances. The convention was divided over the issue of state representation in Congress. As more populated states sought proportional legislation, smaller states, of course, wanted equal representation. The problem was resolved by the Connecticut Compromise, which proposed a bicameral legislature with proportional representation in the lower house, of course, the House of Representatives, and equal representation, uh, representation of the states in the upper house, which, of course, is the Senate. On September the 17th, 1787, the Constitution of the United States was signed by 38 of the 41 delegates rep- uh, present at the conclusion of the convention. As dictated by Article 7, the document would be uh, not become binding until it was ratified by nine of the 13 states. Beginning on December the 7th, five states, Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Georgia, and Connecticut, ratified it in quick succession. However, other states, especially Massachusetts, opposed the document as it fails to reserve undelegated powers to the states and lacked constitutional protection of basic political rights, such as freedom of speech, religion, and the press. In February 1980, 1788, a compromise was reached under which Massachusetts and other states would agree to ratify the document with the assurance that the amendments would be immediately proposed. The Constitution was thus narrowly ratified in Massachusetts, followed by Maryland and South Carolina. On June the 21st, 1788, New Hampshire became the ninth state to ratify the document, and it was subsequently agreed that government under the U.S. Constitution would begin on March the 4th, 1789. On September the 25th, 1789, the first Congress of the United States adopted 12 amendments to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and sent them to the states for ratification. Ten of these amendments were ratified in 1791. In November 1789, North Carolina became the 12th state to ratify the U.S. Constitution. Rhode Island, which opposed federal control of currency and was critical of compromise on the issue of slavery, resisted ratifying the Constitution until the United States government threatened to sever commercial relations with the state. On May the 29th, 1790, Rhode Island voted by two votes to ratify the document, and the last of the original 13 colonies joined the United States. Today, the Constitution is the oldest written national constitution in operation on in the globe. Amazing. What a story about the development of our wonderful Constitution, which hopefully we start paying more attention to uh, in years coming. Well, the, of course, what's soaking up all the news, Tom, right now is the active shooter situation in Uvalde, Texas. On Tuesday, left 19 children dead and two adults dead. A hospital report also states that 14 children and at least one adult have been treated by hospitals in Uvalde and San Antonio. The shooter was killed by responding police, the governor said. President Joe Biden addressed the nation on Tuesday evening in the wake of the devastating shooting. Suspect Salvador Ramos, who was 18, is believed to have killed killed by officers responding to the Robb Elementary School. Ramos was shot, also shot and killed his grandmother prior to going on the rampage. Uh, conflicting reports as to whether she was dead or not. I hope when I become president, I would not have to do this again, Biden began. Another massacre, 
Uvalde, Texas. He spoke about the tragedy that befell the children, teachers, and families in a, in a small community and expressed his own grief. To lose a child is like having a piece of your soul ripped away. He said Biden lost two children of his own. He's quoted scripture as a means to try to make sense of the horrific effort, uh, events of the afternoon. He asked the nation to pray for those families in the darkness uh, they felt right now. But Biden quickly pivoted. Unfortunately, I mean, he, he I think, started off, it was just riveting what he had to say. And that went for about a minute and a half. And then he pivoted to attacking the gun lobby. As a nation, we have asked what God, in God's name, we're going to stand up to the gun lobby. When in God's name, when we all know that our gut, what we need, what needs to be done, he said. We have to act, he said, and after listing off many other school shootings he witnessed during his political career, as well as the tragic, uh, tragic grocery store shooting in Buffalo, he demanded common sense gun laws and said that the assault weapon ban had he had enacted reduced gun violence. He condemned gunshots for selling assault weapons to an eight-year-old, 18-year-old. The shooter in Uvalde had a handgun and a rifle. What in God's name do you need an assault weapon for except to kill someone? It's just sick, he said. The gun manufacturers have spent two decades aggressively marketing assault weapons, which make them the most and largest profit. For God's sake, we have to have the courage to stand up to the industry. What's interesting about that is anytime these types of comments come out, especially by the President of the United States, gun sales go way up. <clears throat> Here's what else I know, said Biden. Most Americans support common-sense gun laws. Common-sense, uh, he said, comparing the U.S. unfavorably to Asian nations that did not have these kinds of mass shootings. What struck me was these kinds of mass shootings rarely happen anywhere else in the world, he said. Why? They have mental health problems. They have domestic disputes in other countries. They have what people are lost. These kinds of national levers and uh, national events never happen. This kind of frequency, they happen in America. Why, he asked. Why are we willing to live with this carnage? Why do we uh, keep letting this happen? Where in God's name is our backbone to have the courage to deal with and stand up to the lobbies, he asked. It's time to turn the pain into action for every parent and for every citizen of the country. We have to make it clear to every elected official in the country it's time to act, he said. It's time for those who obstruct or delay or block the common sense gun laws. We need to let you know that we will not forget. We can do so much more. We have to do more, said Biden. Our prayers tonight goes to those parents. Lying in bed trying to figure out, oh, when will I sleep again? What do I say to my other children? What happens tomorrow? May God bless the loss of innocent life on this sad day. May the Lord be near the brokenhearted and save the crushed in spirit. Those going to need a lot of help, a lot of prayers. God love you, he concluded. And then he walked off stage taking no questions. So moving comments from the president, uh, of course, and then uh, the sandwich, the meat in the middle was uh, gun control. Uh, Tucker Carlson, I think, spoke for a lot of us when he made these comments because he was the comments about Biden's comments were televised. And then Tucker Carlson made these comments. He said the president of the United States, frail, confused, bitterly partisan, desecrating on the memory of recently murdered children with tired talking points from the Democrat Party, dividing the country in a moment of deep pain rather than uniting, his voice rising, amplified only in repeating the talking points from over 35 years in the United States Senate, personal politics being the only thing that amplifies him, unfit for leadership of this country, I'm in shock, said Tucker Carlson. His words begin, uh, I'm talking about now, Biden now. He began, they began to unite us, but soon into the comments, he went into his tirade on gun control. After 32 people were killed 15 years ago in the shooting of Virginia Tech, many state and federal safety recommendations were made, but not all were implemented. In 2007, the then-President George W. Bush ordered his cabinet to come up with a series of recommendations after the shooting. The group made more than 30 local, state, and federal recommendations. Many of the measures, which were focused on mental health rather than gun control, have not been adopted on a national basis. The top finding for the Bush report was education officials, healthcare providers, law enforcement personnel, and others are not fully informed about what they can share critical information on persons who are likely to be in danger to self or to others, and the resulting confusion may chill legitimate information sharing. 
Well, Bush's cabinet secretary has also recommended broader implementation of the federal national instant background checks, providing awareness and communication and better me- mental health services. I think that kind of gets more to the question than uh, g- gun control. But again, uh, the recommendations from that time, 15 years ago, have not been fully implemented. Sad. Well, let's move to, I, I will say that it uh, seems to me that one thing that we could surely do would be to fortify uh, these targets, these soft targets of talking about schools and make sure that they've got adequate protection, both in terms of fencing and uh, locks coming into the school and so forth, but also with uh, perhaps uh, a law officer who is there with uh, a gun to protect the kids. Also, I I also support the whole notion of uh, trained teachers uh, having uh, concealed carry on them in school to protect the kids. I think that would be a good idea. For those who are willing and able to do it, makes sense to me. They care deeply about these kids. They would protect them. Talking about election results from yesterday's primaries, former White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders is projected to win the Arkansas Republican gubernatorial uh, primary. Uh, Endorsed candidate on the race by former President Trump, Sanders is hoping to replace Governor Asa Hutchinson, who's termed out, also in Arkansas, state hopeful and Trump-supported Jake Baquette, was defeated by John Boozman. That's a disappointment uh, to me. I think uh, Baquette is a pretty, pretty impressive guy, but maybe a little young and inexperienced for the role. Uh, GOP Governor Brian Kemp uh, held off Trump-backed challenger former David Perdue, Senator David Perdue, Something's kind of fishy about that. Uh, so many people voted in that uh, election. I think what happened is, and the way that happened, because uh, Purdue was on the stump. He was uh, out there with uh, the former vice president of the United States and others, and uh, 20, 30 people showed up. I think what happened is Republicans were joined by Democrats voting for Purdue, getting him in office, because uh, Stacey Abrams ran unopposed. So uh, Democrats could then register as Republicans and vote for Purdue, who they believe uh, Stacey Abrams can beat. Anyhow, Trump is also supporting GOP Representative Jody Heiss in his bid bid, to unseat Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Uh, I think Raffensperger looks like a winner there. Former football star Herschel Walker won Georgia's Republican Senate primary and he seeks to unseat Senator Raphael Warnock. In November, Walker is a rare candidate to unite both the MAGA wing and the establishment wing of the Republican Party. He earned his endorsements from both President Donald Trump and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. In Alabama, Representative Mo Brooks, former Senate staffer uh, Katie Britt, and veteran Mike Durant are in a competitive three-way Republican primary for the open Senate seat. If no candidate gets 50%, there will be a runoff in Texas. Representative Henry Cuellar and AOC-backed primary challenger Jessica Cisneros are neck and neck in a primary runoff. And uh, Texas Land Commissioner George P. Bush, well, he lost his primary to Ken Paxson. So uh, at, as, as of now, there's going to be any more Bushes in office. Taylor, Marjorie Taylor Greene won her, her, uh, her race as well in northern uh, Georgia. And Vernon Jones is likely in a runoff with uh, Mike Collins. So that's what we know so far. I'm sure there'll be more information and news uh, later in the day. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute, that and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. 
What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is an author, a constitutional scholar, and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, cato.org on the web. Thank you, Bob. So uh, let's pick up the topic of immigration. This, of course, is very controversial, what's happening on the southern border right now in the United States. How would you characterize the libertarian view of uh, immigration? Well, short recap. First, illegal immigration is a big problem. Second, uh, the problem has been politicized by both uh, Democratic and Republican administrations. Third, there are much better solutions than the measures now uh, being considered and being implemented. So libertarian views on immigration are are not the views of either uh, the Democratic or Republican administrations. Uh, Libertarians agree with the views of a lot of past conservative administration, including, by the way, the editors of the Wall Street Journal and including President Reagan, who used a uh, familiar phrase uh, 40 years ago. Uh, Reagan said, and this is a quote, he said, these immigrant families came here to work. Uh, They spread across the land, building cities and towns. They brought with them courage, ambition, and the values of family, neighborhood, peace, and freedom. This country needs a renewed dedication that will give that dream new life and make America great again. So I'd say the libertarian view is work-focused. That is not the view of the current administration. Yeah, I mean, and uh, just to clarify the libertarian view, uh, would you say that uh, it's uh, uh, based on legal immigration or is the illegal immigration okay? No, illegal immigration is not okay, but what's wrong is the laws which characterize uh, legal versus illegal. So libertarian view is we need a work 
focused immigration program, reform of the asylum laws, and then once we have properly defined what is and ought to be illegal, then the border should be rigorously enforced. Okay, thank you, Bob. So uh, what's the scope of the immigration problem right now from the libertarian point of view? Well, we have about 11 million illegals, uh, despite we've had this recent surge because of the asylum issue. But the the overall number apprehended by Border Patrol uh, has been falling for quite a while, uh, other than the surge. And the surge is primarily due to uh, asylum seekers who, by the way, they voluntarily present themselves for a hearing. Uh, that's what they're entitled to under U.S. law, which is incoherent, the U.S. law. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are not mostly illegals, uh, the asylum seekers. The illegals might have been stopped by a, by a wall, but the asylum seekers are not going to be because they're entitled to a hearing under the law if they get to the United States. Uh, the share of our population that's foreign-born here is about the same as Germany and France. <clears throat> it's far below what it is in Canada, Canada and Australia. Ne- nearly 60% of our immigrants have been here more than 10 years. Uh, a third of them own homes. A third of them have children uh, who were born here and therefore they're citizens. Uh, most illegal immigrants arrive legally uh, by car or by plane. Uh, sometimes as tourists or students or or just travelers. Um, And then they violate our laws by staying too long. We're not reporting uh, periodically. According to uh, Homeland Security, uh, we had uh, almost four times uh, as many uh, people who overstayed their visas as who crossed uh, the border illegally. So border control um, is imperative but not even a wall would keep out illegals who enter legally and then uh, with valid visas and then overstay those uh, those visas. By the way, the, tw- the 2020 census, the most recent census, offers a pretty powerful argument for increasing legal immigration. Uh, the U.S. in the past 10 years had the, the slowest population growth in, in decades, uh, owing primarily to this plummeting fertility rate and and less immigration. So we now have a worker shortage, and uh, immigrants would help fill that shortage, again, providing they come here legally. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that. I, I, I get concerned about conflating immigration with uh, illegal immigration. I think, right. we, I think we can right. all agree that what we need, we have to have our gro- population growth here in America, and we're not keeping up with the birth rate here for, in America. So we need these people coming in. But I, my view is it needs to be merit-based and legal. And, now, and, of course, in order to do that, we certainly need a reform in our, in our uh, immigration laws. But it needs to be... So, more transparent and simple for the people who want to come to the United States and and, be, and easier for us to enforce. Yeah, agreed entirely. You know the old saying that, that here in the United States, <clears throat> the birth rate is declining and the death rate is remaining relatively constant at 100%. <laughs> yeah. So, Bob, are, are immigrants a net burden to the taxpayer? Well, aliens are not entitled to welfare uh, for five years, and illegal aliens are not entitled at all. Um, they are entitled illegal aliens to schooling um, at the K to 12 level and to emergency medical care. Um, there was a big study uh, just a couple of years ago by the National Academy of Sciences that uh, indicated that illegals may impose an initial cost on taxpayers, but over a 75-year life, each immigrant represents $259,000 in net present value for federal, state, and local governments. That is, the what they generate for those governments mm-hmm. exceeds what they cost the government and the taxpayer. And, you know, he, these immigrants would be paying more in taxes <clears throat> if it weren't for the irrational policies we have that force them into the underground economy because they fear uh, deportation. So if we want more tax dollars from immigrants, we, we should give them more opportunities for legal work. Uh, even even under current law, they pay more in taxes over the, their lifetime they receive in benefits. And if we're worried about 
tax dollars uh, spent on health and welfare, uh, there are a lot of other groups in this country who are net recipients of government uh, handouts. Um, most of our benefits, you know, go to the old and the sick through Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Uh, the immigrants, by contrast, tend to be young and healthy and mostly male, yeah. and they receive proportionally less uh, benefits than do uh, U.S. citizens. So, again, the, the focus has to be on on legal immigration and a set of coherent rules that adequately define between what ought to be legal and what ought not be illegal, and then border enforcement for the illegals. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Of course, the optics right now are that we see illegals coming across the border. They're put, packing them on buses, sending them off to different cities. Right now, DeSantis has asked for a study on what these uh, aliens are costing us, illegal aliens costing us yes. in terms of yeah. uh, medical costs and hospital costs. So uh, the landscape has changed so quickly that uh, I agree with everything you're saying, but we, <laughs> we need to do something about the current status of immigration here in the United States. Indeed. I mean, Congress is really the culprit here, as Congress is in so many other areas. They basically have abdicated their responsibility to revisit the immigration laws and make sure we have something that makes sense. Absolutely. So are immigrants more likely to commit crimes here in the United States? Well, there's a lot of data on that. During a recent decade, uh, when immigrants grew from 6 million to 12 million, the violent crime rate dropped. By a third. Wow. Um, overall, crime fell in the cities that had the most immigrants, like New York and L.A. and Chicago, Miami, and some of the border cities like San Diego and El Paso. Um, the Customs and Border Protection uh, encountered about 250,000 unaccompanied minors, and there was a lot of talk about those were gang members. But it turned out that of the surveys that they've done, the the members out of that 250,000 of the notorious MS-13 gang were only 259, which is, you know, about a tenth of a percent. Um, so we're talking about a pretty small number of outright gang members. And more broadly, immigrants are one-fifth as likely to be in prison than somebody who's born here and also less likely to be in, uh, in mental hospitals. So I think on balance, yes, they contribute to crime, just as does every other cohort uh, in the United States, but basically less so than do our native-born So interesting. Uh, Again, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, I'd like to pick this up uh, next week. Really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a -a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. 
Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples and also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So typically we start off with uh, good news. But uh, it's a little hard to think about good news after what happened yesterday in Texas. Yeah, I, I had a few things jotted down about the good news that uh, from yesterday and uh, before that, but uh, it's just it's just inappropriate to bring in. So I'm I'm going to skip that. And <clears throat> this event in of all the Texas for me is is overwhelming. As as I mentioned to you, you I think you knew I had a, a a child that passed from disease many years ago, and it's a it's a horribly horribly painful event, but. I, I think something like this in Evaldi, uh, when a when a child gets shot to death, uh, it's 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 far beyond that. It's disease. You can at least say is the natural way of things, the natural way of life. It happens. It's it's bad luck, if I might. But this is not that. This is a, a an event that is perpetrated by a very diseased, evil sociopath that that makes the event uh, a thousand times. Uh, more painful than than what uh, than what I went through, so uh, I can't imagine what these what these parents are going through. Um, I stayed up, of course, to listen to uh, Joe Biden's remarks, and I, I hope this doesn't uh, become political. But because I think he made it political, I, I'll talk in response. Um, the early part of Joe Biden's comments as president, I thought, were were very well done. He expressed right. the uh, the pain he felt and the pain the pain of a nation. Uh, without even missing a beat, he went immediately from that into uh, a condemnation of those who were uh, unduly bought by the by the gun lobby, and uh, that persisted for an extended period of time, far longer, in fact, than the time he spent mourning the loss the loss of these children. Right. Uh, I think the point can be made: it's the the anti-gun forces that have been the most resistive to putting armed people in these schools, whether it's, it's policemen, retired policemen, or teachers. It, it's been the, 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 the anti-gun forces that have resisted putting these defenders of children uh, into the schools. Uh, and so I think there has to be at least some responsibility there uh, in, in that direction. Uh, so let me just stop there and, and, and find out where you are on this issue. Bob. Well, uh, in fact, in my opening comments today in today's show, I was saying exactly that, um, you know, immediately jumping to the gun problem, quote unquote, is uh, absurd. I mean, I, was, I referenced the uh, study that was done after the shooting in uh, Virginia Tech 15 years ago, 31 people killed at that time. And some recommendations came out that were very thoughtful, mainly mainly around mental health and exchange of in- information so that we can identify these people. I mean, uh, reading a little bit of background on the guy that did this, I mean, he, he was definitely a troubled human being. He didn't gra- He dropped out of school. Uh, he was uh, made fun of by other kids. He apparently had a lisp of, of some sort and uh, wore eyeliner. Was made fun of. Didn't have you know wear appropriate clothes. Point point being is that he, I'm sure he felt bullied. I'm sure he felt rejected, and uh, probably felt no hope. He, and uh, probably I'm guessing this, but I'm guessing uh, he, he didn't graduate from high school. His grandmother probably said something about it. He pulled out a gun and shot her, for crying out loud. And then went off and killed the kids. But there are so many signs indicating that this guy needed help and he needed to be stopped before this event occurred. I think you're absolutely correct, as you illuminate or uh, listed the the characteristics of, of this uh, this this shooter. Um, I'd like to point out that undoubtedly, in, at least in my estimation, as as someone who's dealt uh, dealt deeply, deeply with psychology, uh, he is a sociopath. The difference, right. uh, as pointed out, between a psychopath and a sociopath, a psychopath will kill if they they need to. It, it serves their purpose. 
A sociopath, on the other hand, will kill if they can. And so this is, again, a, an evil sociopath. I think you've, uh, you've highlighted the, the specifics here that would have brought him to that level. But nevertheless, there are thousands, probably, of young men in the schools, or out, just out of the schools of America, who meet those exact characteristics. So the difference, then, is, is within this specific individual. When I hear people talk about we have to question who we are as a people, it, it must be kept in mind. This is an anomaly. This is a, right. a rare moment where uh, a, a, an evil sociopath of this type picks up a gun and slaughters people, especially children. You know, the question is always asked, you know, wh why haven't we defended our schools? And there is no answer to that, Bob. Right. We could have defended our schools. We reacted with COVID by spending extraordinary amounts of money to, uh, to minimize uh, a problem. There are probably more young children that died yesterday in Ovalde uh, of that age group than died in the entirety of the COVID process. Right. And yet we spent billions protecting the schools from that. Why can't we protect the schools uh, in a comparable manner uh, from these rare but certainly uh, significant elements uh, that, uh, that occur in American life, Bob? Well, thank you for those comments. I think those are important points. And just to add to that, I agree with you to the whole notion of having teachers who uh, have the skills, the ability, and uh, check out uh, psychologically and so forth, should be armed to be able to carry uh, concealed carry in school just to protect the kids for if, if for no other reason. And then, of course, being able to secure the schools just by improving the locks and the surveillance, the cameras, all those types of things, I think could go a long way to dissuading people from even thinking about entering these targets. Yeah, hey, look, I, I agree, Bob. Um, I, I don't want to seem like I'm stating I was prescient, but I, I just published an essay dealing with Lord Acton, and part of it dealt with the the the, the elements that the things that go on in the public school system. Now, I don't know anything about the Evaldi public schools, so this certainly is not is not specific. So, but it's a general comment that I think has to be given weight uh, as we consider whether these events can become more likely. Um, I, I said in the in this essay, this leads me to the actual point of this essay. And the reason I believe challenging Acton is critical. The success of the American left is ultimately driven by their ability to make American children evil, corrupt, or corruptible. It is now the essence of the purpose of the public school system. In many cases, although typically described as ideological indoctrination, it is far more sinister than that. Its purpose is to turn these children into cauldrons of hatred, anger, and, yes, evil. Now, again, I am not condemning the entirety of the school system, but I would suggest, Bob, that yep. there is a strong element of what happens in our public schools that does exactly what I just suggested. It isn't just ideological indoctrination. It is making people hate those that are not like it, that like them, making them feel like victims, making them feel that retribution is appropriate. Now, I have no knowledge of what drove this kid in, uh, in, in Texas or the school system in Ovalde. Uh, on the other hand, if we're looking at the national problem, uh, I think this must be considered as part of the problem. And by identifying it as part of the problem, it then becomes part of the answer. Yeah, thank you for that, Andy. I, I will point out, I, I found your column. In fact, I think I published it. I hope I did anyhow, because I really enjoyed the, your column on uh, on the, the uh, uh, Lord Acton's comments. Uh, abs corruption, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, my only co comment to that would be that I think human behavior is contagious. Courage is contagious, but so is this deviant behavior as well, in my opinion. And I think uh, corrupt... Uh, politicians, once you get into Washington, D.C., for example, I think the greed and the, the uh, self-interest kind of pervades the area and it becomes contagious among the people there. So I think a good person could go to Washington, D.C. and be corrupted if they don't have a really strong backbone. I'll mention, Bob, I'm not hearing you very well, so I, I know you're always concerned when I mention that to you, but uh, you're, you're clear, but uh, the volume is, is very low at my end. And, I apologize. I, I, I have heard you, but I'd just like you to be aware of that. Thank you. Um, it, it, just uh, one of the comments, you know, the, the schools are, are chosen for these kind of horrors because uh, they're, they're easily uh, attacked, they're vulnerable, uh, there's a uh, compressed grouping of people. Um, and I, I certainly 
I would suggest, although I completely advocate for the uh, defending of these schools as best we can, uh, that the, the shooters will just, I believe, move their focus to other venues yeah. if the schools become protected. That does not mean they shouldn't be, and I think it would certainly eliminate school shootings to a large extent, but these shooters are, in fact, uh, com- compulsive, evil sociopaths, and they will fulfill this need. Uh, if it's not the schools, uh, they'll go to sporting events, they'll go to theaters, they'll go to parties. Uh, so I think these are these are anomalies. They, they're rare moments. Uh, Joe Biden suggested they only happen in America, which is absolute nonsense. Uh, there are a long list that have been compiled. I've seen them already uh, highlighting some of the outrageous shootings uh, that have taken place around the world. Uh, we have a country of 335 million people. We're a free country, so there's a lot of uh, individual expression that takes place. Uh, And so, again, this is not uh, something that condemns America uh, as a totality. I think there are issues that can be highlighted that might improve these these situations in the sense of limiting their number. Uh, But again, this is a, a problem that I do not believe can be eliminated in its entirety, Bob. Yeah, I agree, Andy. And I want to move to uh, the elections and what happened yesterday, but uh, we need to take a little commercial break. Can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I hope you'll check out the website, vfga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good, Andy. So I wanted to make sure I got some of your uh, thoughts and impressions from uh, yesterday's primary election results. Well, well, let me start out with the previous primary between Oz and McCormick. Um, that is still undecided. I think the uh, what we're seeing in Pennsylvania as a result of that earlier primary uh, is the uh, anticipation of what the 2022 midterms are going to look like. Uh, if anyone believes that the 2022 midterms would not be the most chaotic 
elections in this country's history, I'm sorry, they're going to be wrong, Bob. I think it's yeah. going to be a horrific process. I think uh, 2020 was certainly bad. I think 2022 will be will be worse. I think the chaos that the Democrats will churn in that, into that election uh, will just make our, uh, as I said to you in my uh, my comments uh, by email, it'll make our hair turn gray. Bob. Well, it's kind of like uh, everything's m- moving in slow motion. The monkey virus kind of shows up. <laughs> monkeypox and uh you, you can almost see the chaos and the, oh we've got to vote by mail we've got to mask everybody up lockdown all uh, that's what i anticipate is going to happen because that's just what they do isn't it so uh hopefully we'll resist the yeah, nonsense amazingly, the the georgia officials have uh, said that there was no uh, actionable process that could be driven by the uh, 2000 mules uh, documentary by dennis d'souza now any of any anyone who's watched that can see that there certainly was a uh, uh, for my for my satisfaction uh, a documentation of criminal activity sure. criminal activity uh, for georgia once again to turn their back on investigating this uh, is again indicative of why uh, president trump uh, was was not willing to support uh, Governor Kemp in Georgia. Uh, it was entirely because of Kemp's resistance to uh, to not overturning the election, but to at least uh, uh, questioning the the results and how they were obtained. Uh, I think that uh, President Trump withdrew from the uh, support of, of Purdue. He saw the uh, that Purdue was running a uh, an absurd candidacy, and I think that he, he perhaps bought into the reality of why so many voters in Georgia did support Camp over Purdue, and that was the, the 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 primary reason, in my estimation, was they thought Camp had the best chance of beating Stacey Abrams uh, for the governor's chair, uh, and that's a critical factor. I think that a lot of uh, pro pro Trump people in Georgia, um, you know, they would have liked to have support supported the uh, the advocacy of, of Trump for Purdue, but they were more concerned with defeating Stacey Abrams in in November. So I, I think that's what we saw in uh, in the uh, uh, Kemp Purdue race um, in the. Well, let me let me let me stop you there, Andy, and suggest that uh, what I see is uh, there was a, a, an amazing turnout in the Georgia election for governor, even more than for Herschel Walker. Stacey Abrams ran unopposed, so I believe that a lot of Democrat voters registered as Republicans and voted for Kemp because they believe Stacey Abrams can defeat Kemp. I, I look. I, I can't argue with you, Bob. You know your research probably in that area is uh, is better than mine. I think the numbers were were so dramatic in terms of the difference. I, uh, it's hard to imagine any set of circumstances uh, that would have defeated Kemp for the uh, in the in the primary. Uh, that does not uh, diminish what you just said. Yeah. Uh, they may see it. They may have seen it that way. Uh, I know Kemp had defeated uh, Stacey Abrams in a prior election, so uh, I, I don't know. I, I will accept your input as as being certainly as valid, if not more so, than mine uh, in this in this area. Uh, I'd also like to highlight a, a couple of uh, primaries that really worked out. Uh, well, uh, in terms of my uh, my commitment to the, the, these these people, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders won an overwhelming uh, primary victory in, in Arkansas, which will probably mean uh, she will win the the governor's chair. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene won in her congressional district in Georgia, uh, in spite of the absolute outrageous bombardment of of attacks on her uh, ever since she uh, she took office in Congress. So those two elections, I, I think, are, are are worth noting, at least from my personal point of view. Uh, if we look at uh, this is associated with the primaries, but uh, it also goes to 2022 midterms. Um, uh, Pence had said, Mike Pence had supported uh, David Kemp. No problem there. I think that was uh, certainly his choice, and it, this was a valid choice. Um, on the other hand, uh, Pence had gone to Charlottesville and raid a, a wreath at the, uh, the gravesite of the deceased woman who died there in the, in the automobile accident. Uh, now, that was obviously done, in my estimation, obviously done uh, to diminish uh, President Trump. Uh, President Trump has long been cited as having supported the neo-Nazis at Charlottesville, which was obviously a lie. The, uh, the full comments that he made have been repeated a thousand times. Uh, and yet, Mike Pence still went to Charlottesville with the intent 
of diminishing Donald Trump, I think, with Pence's intent of running for the presidency in 2024. If I might just give Mike Pence some some a word of advice, Mike, you're going to get destroyed if you do anything of the sort. <laughs> yes. Well, the, the other thing, I, I mentioned that things just don't make sense in, in the Georgia gubernatorial elections. And one of the reasons is because Mike Pence is there and we've got uh, Chris Christie doing this uh, this tour with uh, Kemp. And nobody shows up. I mean, you got 20 and 30 people in the audience. So, you know, he's not stirring up the masses. He's not getting people uh, really excited about the election. So the, the turnout and uh, the result just doesn't make sense to me. We'll see what happens. But the only the, uh, one hypothesis, I certainly don't know this for a fact, but I, I certainly think there's got to be some reason. One pro- plausible reason is because Stacey Abrams made the announcement, hey, Democrats, register as Republicans and vote for Kemp. I, again, I, I, I'm not going to argue with you because um, you may be right. So I have no purpose in making a fool out of myself and, uh, to, to dispute Bob Harden. Um, you know, and you mentioned earlier something that I think is significant in terms of uh, some of the uh, the political rantings that have gone on. The early turnout in the Georgia primaries was the largest in Georgia history. Right. So for all of those laments from the left that uh, Georgia voting laws were going to suppress turnout, nothing of the sort happened. It was the largest primary turnout uh, in, in their history. So I think that put that particular um, comment from the left uh, um, uh, to to dispute, Bob. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you making that, that point. So uh, any other observations before we move on to what's happening in Ukraine and around the globe? Um, no, pr- primaries are primaries, and I think the audience, everyone has to uh, keep in mind that they are uh, they are the battlegrounds of, of politics. Uh, general election are about winning elections. Primaries are about ideologies. Uh, and I think that for the most part, uh, with the one uh, area of, uh, of Kemp, and again, I, I understand your point, uh, I think the, the primaries worked out well. I think Donald Trump is still showing that he is the uh, controlling agent of the Republican Party. And I think that there is no doubt in my mind that the 2024 candidate for the presidency of the Republican Party will be Donald Trump or someone that Donald Trump endorses. One of those two things. No other candidate is possible. At least no other winning candidate is possible, Bob. That makes a lot of sense, Andy. All right, let's, I want to move to uh, what's happening in, in uh, Ukraine and around the world. I'd like to take another commercial break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence, serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. 
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josepha Savaz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Well, I'm looking forward to a follow-up comments now on what's happening with the sustained and stretched out uh, uh, war in Ukraine. What are your thoughts? Well, my views have not changed dramatically since the beginning. Uh, my awareness has changed in terms of the background of that war. Uh, I still remain uh, positioned as thinking the uh, invasion was obviously inappropriate and the, the level of death and, and destruction is, is something that has to end and uh, has, to be, has to be ended as soon as, as, soon as possible. Uh, on the other hand, and this is not a but on the other hand, but it, it's on the other hand, I, I've been doing a lot of research on Ukraine. I, uh, I took two great courses, the, the courses that are offered by the Great Courses Company. One was on the Russian culture and the other was on Eastern Europe. Uh, I was trying to get a, a better feel for that area of the world. I, I'm, I was probably reasonably knowledgeable, my, my family background, uh, but I wanted to get a better feel for this. If we, if we look at what I extracted from that, it's uh, Putin is not uh, involved with the Soviet Union type of mindset. He is involved with what has historically been called Russianness. Russianness that goes back a thousand years. Uh, this is a man who thinks that uh, Russia is a spiritual nation, representing the uh, the third uh, founding of the uh, of the Christian Church, Rome, then Constantinople, and now Moscow. He sees himself as the protector of that domain, the uh, the Christian Orthodoxy domain, and the protector of Russianness. So again, that doesn't change the fact that he should not have invaded, but it it, it changes the general view that's presented of what is the mindset what is the mindset of of, of Vladimir Putin um, I think it, it it doesn't defend him per se, but again, I think we have to look at this in terms of understanding uh, why he has this commitment. Uh, I did some other extensive reading on the uh, the background of the um, United States' actions, uh, NATO's actions, uh, EU's actions, uh, particularly an extended article by John Mearsheimer uh, from the University of Chicago, which is uh, was titled "Why the Ukraine Crisis is the West's Fault." Now. His point is a point that has been made uh, many times, but he does so with such extensive documentation uh, that I think it's worthy of consideration again. Uh, and the point that, that he makes is multiple times since the later, latter part of the 1990s, Putin has said, do not, do not consider bringing NATO, uh, Ukraine into NATO. Do not even talk about it. He said, if NATO... Uh, accepts Ukraine in, Ukraine will cease to exist. He's been saying this time and time and time again. Yet, with that as a, a warning, so to speak, and not necessarily the, a warning the West has to uh, accede to, but on the other hand, they should have been aware that this was a provocative move of the most significant nature to someone like Putin, committed to Russianness, committed to defending the, the spiritual nature of Russia and his view that Ukraine going into, into NATO served as a significant threat uh, to Russia and to its culture and to its people. Now, again, I'm not forgiving the, the absurd uh, attack, in my estimation, absurd attack, uh, but we have to consider why wars start, and, and by understanding how they started, then you have a chance of ending it. But at this point, Bob, I see no one actively working to end this war. Uh, America is committed, in my estimation. I'm very pro-American. Uh, but again, this is a war that America is uh, provoking. They are trying to continue it. They are bringing uh, significant weapons of death uh, into Ukraine. Uh, and again, it was a strange uh, new show I happened to uh, catch last night. Uh, the commentator was talking first about how weapons have to be, guns have to be suppressed in America after the Ovalde shooting, followed immediately by comments that we have to be sending more lethal weapons to <laughs> yeah. Ukraine. The, the incongruity of that 
position is just amazing to me. But we have to start working towards towards ending this war. I see no one or very few people in legitimate decision-making capacity in this country that are actively working to end this war in Ukraine. Well, I will uh, opine that if uh, President Trump were in office right now, he would have been visiting, he would have already visited with Vladimir Putin. He would have had this thing probably all settled down and done with, uh, you know, the whole notion of uh, you, you hold your friends close and your enemies closer. Uh, that's what Trump does. He did it with Kim Jong-un. He's, he'd do it with Putin as well. This thing would be over. Unfortunately, what we do is demonize uh, Putin, make him an evil an enemy. And I, I'm not doubting. I, I agree with you. He is evil. But, you know, you, this is, you know, calling him evil and trying to uh, demonize him is not going to end this war. You know, in a comparable manner, we and I first let, let me let me agree with you. Uh, in a comparable manner, we could we could demonize Zelensky. Uh, Zelensky has been suppressing the opposition, uh, political opposition, suppressing the press opposition. Uh, if you uh, supported the Minsk agreements, if you advocate for a settlement uh, of the conflict in Donbass, uh, if. if um, you are reading Russian news. If you talk with a Russian accent, uh, you are, in fact, uh, um, persecuted, if not killed. And death has been a prominent characteristic taking place in the eastern provinces. I am looking right now at a list of names uh, of about 25 uh, significant Ukrainians that have been killed in the eastern provinces as a direct result of apparently only one factor, and that's disagreement with the Zelensky regime. Yeah, you know, Andy, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Talk to you soon, Bob. Thank you, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests lined up for tomorrow. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.